0: Good morning, church family. I am uh, super thankful. (sighs) I don't know why I cry every time I preach. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) But, goodness, I'm just, I've been overwhelmed with the love of the Father, reminded this morning of his love for us and our worship. Uh, so undeserving, but he still loves us. <clears throat> this is a, a big week in the life of our church, Double Oak Community Church. This is VBS week. Um, there's, you know, I've never seen a VBS like ours. It is, it is unbelievable. Um, when we came... To Double Oak, and I saw it for the first time. I thought, "Holy smokes, what is happening here?" Um, it is remarkable uh, what what the Lord does in this event. And as we get into uh, as we get into this week, we want to take some time as a church family to pray over VBS. But here's what I'd like to do: if you are volunteering. This week at VBS, I'm going I'm to ask you to stand, please. Just stand. We want to pray for you. Uh, if you're volunteering, man, awesome, awesome. Can I thank you enough <clears throat> for uh, giving up your time and, and serving. At this event, we've seen the Lord do amazing things, and we're going to pray. And we're going to believe that the Lord's going to do even more amazing things this week. Uh, so here's what I'd like for us to do. Uh, I don't want to be the only one praying. I think we need to pray corporately this morning and throughout the week that God hears all of our prayers, even if we're praying at the same time. And so if there's someone next to you or across the room, you see somebody you know, I want to encourage you in this moment to pray for them. And pray for them by name as I lead us. We'll pray over this entire week and this event that not only will the Lord minister to the kids that will participate in VBS, but also to our volunteers, our leaders, our staff, but the entire family unit that's represented at VBS. Not just the kids, but their parents also. So will you join me? Let's pray together. Father, it is, uh, it's is—it's exciting to be able to, to come together again this year, to be able to have VBS in person. Um, you know. It takes sometimes, it takes a lot, something big to really just get our attention to say, yes, you know, this is a great moment in time and it's so easy to take things for granted. I know I do. And last year we still had VBS, but it wasn't in person. It was modified and super thankful, God, how you worked through our leaders and, and through those uh, those times that we had together. But excited to be able to come back together this year, Father, in person to celebrate your goodness, to worship you and to learn about the love that you have for us. And I pray over each one of our volunteers and our leaders, God, that you would strengthen them throughout this week. Uh, As they they may feel themselves get tired, God, that you would just strengthen them and and uphold them. Give them wisdom to just share your truth and love with those they come into contact with, that you would bless uh, this, this time that we have together this week. And that you would do a great and mighty work, God, that your kingdom would grow. Uh, that we would grow in our faith and that we would see kids and, and adults even, God, just come to know you in a personal way that their lives would be changed. Thank you, God, for the opportunity that we have to do this. We don't deserve to be able to do this, but because of the love you have for us, we get to. And so we're thankful for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you all for volunteering. Thank you. I look super thankful for Michael and Mia. I love y'all. And uh, thankful for the way that you care for us and lead us and lead me and care for me and love on us and my family. Happy, happy birthday. We love y'all. We love y'all. Enjoy those cupcakes. All right. church. We're going to be in Ezra chapter 3 this morning, so if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to dive into Ezra chapter 3. I'm Brian Marbury. I get to serve on staff here as the associate executive pastor, and I really am privileged and honored to be able to be with you this morning and worship uh, and to be able to share with you something that I believe the Lord has for each and every one of us, that in my study time this week, in my prayer time, I believe that... uh, And the Lord, he wants to work in your life. He wants to work in my life and maybe even challenge us this morning um, in obedience to his call on our lives. And so I'm covering chapters two and three, but I'm not going to read all of it. We're not even going to really look at all of it in detail. We're going to look at the first six verses in chapter three. However, last week, Michael did such a great job of introducing us into the sermon series that we're in, Ezra and Nehemiah. And so, I just want to do a quick review. And while I do that, we're going to scroll chapter two on the screen for you. All right? Um, I look, I know, I shared this with the first service as well. I probably just quenched the Holy Spirit by doing this because now we're all thinking Star Wars and and whatever. But I couldn't help it. I thought it was funny and cool, so I did it. Uh, So, that's chapter two. And as that that scroll, you're going to see a lot of names. A lot of names, a lot of people, a lot of numbers because there's a lot of people. And what we see in chapter 1 is that God stirs the heart of a pagan king, King Cyrus, the king of Persia, to send God's chosen people, the Israelites, back to their homeland. They have been in exile uh, for 70 years. And God told them, that's how long it's going to be, and we see him keeping his promise, 70 years is up, stirs the heart of King Cyrus, y'all go back and begin to rebuild your temple and your homes, your homeland that God has promised you and he's going to keep his promise. So God not only stirs the heart of King Cyrus, he stirs the heart of all these folks as well. Each one of these individuals, God stirs their heart to go back because here's the thing, here's what we know. That not every single Israelite went back to their homeland. Some stayed. They all didn't go. But God stirred the hearts of the ones that needed to go back to begin this rebuilding process. And he placed a calling on their lives in this moment to go and to rebuild. And they had a decision to make. They had to choose whether they would stay or whether they'd be obedient and go. To be obedient to the call That the Lord placed on their lives. Because here's the thing. 70 years, in the grand scheme of things, 70 years is not a very long time. Uh, When you're talking about thousands and thousands of years, 70 is just kind of a blip on the radar, you know. And it's it's a lot, but a lot can happen in that time. Even though it's considerably a a short time, a lot can happen. So God, through the prophet Jeremiah, says, hey, you're going to be here a while Go ahead and build your homes, grow your gardens, have children, get married, all that stuff. Hey, you're going to be here a little while. It would have been easy for them to some degree to say, but God, I'm really comfortable here. I think this is where I just want to hang out. I mean, like you told us to stay, and that's, that's what we did. We're, like, we're, we're, we're producing and uh, crops and growing, and, and things are going really well. So they had a, they had a decision to make. Stay in the comfort or be obedient and not really sure what's going to happen. And that leads us to chapter 3, verse 1. So, let's dig into it. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Yeshua, the son of Josedak with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, With his kinsmen, and they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses and the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the feast of the booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule, as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon and at all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who made freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What we see here at the very beginning of this passage it's the seventh month of the liturgical year. This is probably the most important time of the year for the Israelites. This is when they're really going to kick in the feasts and offerings and things. We're going to dive into that in just a little bit. This is such an important month for them. And they realize that and recognize it. So what they do, the Scripture tells us, is that they come together in Jerusalem as one. And this is critical for them. This is is very important because they are thousands in number, but they understand that God is calling them to be obedient and to act. And they cannot fulfill what the Lord is calling them to do without being together. They have to be unified. They come together as one. And I think that's something very important, even for us today, that the Lord is going to call each and every one of us on an individual level. He's going to stir your heart. He's going to move you. But not just on an individual level, on a corporate level. He has brought us together. We are a church family. And we are to work together to love the Lord and love each other. To consider the person sitting next to us more important than ourselves. Our neighbors more important than ourselves. So we see them come together, which is incredibly important. And they build the altar. This is, this is really fascinating. In verse 3, they set the altar in its place for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. Faith is what got them there. Okay? So the Lord stirs their hearts. He calls them, they believe. This is faith. It gets them there. But it in the process of doing what the Lord's called them to do, it's not going to be without challenges or trials or tribulations. And it stirs up this fear inside their hearts. Now, If we're very, very honest with ourselves, there's probably something inside of all of our hearts that doesn't belong there. And sometimes it's really difficult to see it. We may not recognize it. We may not be looking for it. But in this moment, God allows this time to expose something in their hearts. And their response here is key. We can learn from this. It would have been easy for them to say, God, God. We've been in captivity for 70 years. You're faithful. You kept your word. You are freeing us. We are able to come back and rebuild. But why in the world is is this happening still? Like, it's supposed to be good. It's supposed to be really smooth here. Why are we hitting this this speed bump? And look, the truth of the matter is, there's going to be grace found in that. James uh, 1-2, he talks about this to... To consider a joy when you face these things. Because in that moment, one of two things can happen you can blame God or you can run to God. And the Israelites run to God. To be thankful in those moments to say, hey, this is exposing something that doesn't belong in my heart, in my life. And that is gracious. That's God being gracious to you even in the midst of something that just doesn't seem fair. Because what it does is it reminds you of your great need for him. That you can't do this on your own. Even if you come together as one, you still need the Father to help you with this. And so what they do is they build the altar and they begin to worship. My challenge for us this morning is when we find ourselves in a situation where it's challenging, it's difficult, it's hard, you're unsure, you're uncertain, that you wouldn't run from the Father and blame him, but you would run to the Father and worship him just as the Israelites did. They do this even before they start building the temple. The following verses in chapter 3 tell us about them building the foundation for the temple. They haven't even ordered the materials to build the temple yet, and they knew There's something here in our hearts. We need to surrender this to the Lord. Let's worship him. So they build the altar, and they begin to to make their offerings to the Lord in their worship. And this leads them to uh, the Feast of the Booths. Okay, So in verse 4, says and they kept the feast of booths as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day is required. The feast of the booths is something that God instituted. It's given to it was given to Moses in in the giving of the law. You can find this in Leviticus chapter 23 verses 33 through 43. Here's here's what the feast of the booths is. It is a feast that lasted 7 days. And it started on the 15th day of the seventh month. So this is the month that the Israelites find themselves in. And they understand the importance of it and what's to come. So they build the altar and they worship because they know on day 15, it's important for them to participate and practice the Feast of the Booths. So it lasts seven days. The first day and the the eighth day, they are to do no ordinary work. It's the end of harvest season. They have collected their crops. They are, they are pulling everything in. They are to take the food offerings on top of all of their regular offerings and offer them and sacrifice that to the Lord. Here's the main thing that they would have to do. They would have to literally create a, a booth for them to live in for the week. Thus the name, the Feast of the Booths. It's also known as the Feast of the Tabernacles. So the whole idea behind this for the Israelites, and the reason, the main reason that God instituted this in the law is for them to practice this and point them back to the the Exodus from Egypt. Okay, so in Egypt, they're in bondage, they're in slavery. God delivered them from the Egyptians and said, Hey, I'm going to take you to the promised land, the land that I promised to Abraham. And between the time that they left Egypt and the time that they made it to the promised land, they wandered around the wilderness. They'd go to point A, they'd set up camp, then they'd pick up camp, they'd go to point B, they'd set up camp, and this process continued until eventually they got to the promised land. Well, when they set up camp, they had to have somewhere to sleep at night. So they literally set up little booths, these tabernacles, these huts. And that's what they, they slept in. So the feast of the booths caused the Israelites to literally remove themselves from the comforts of their home. To set up a makeshift booth and live in it for a week. To be reminded That God is gracious and merciful and that he is the one that provides for you It is a remarkable moment here they are In the process of going to build And they decide Instead of moving forward with the building plan We need to stop and celebrate the feast of the booths So there are a couple of things here. One, God is wanting them to remember what he did, but also recognize his power and his love for them. This whole idea of remembrance, I got to thinking about it this week, and there are a couple of things that I want us to look at very quickly. One is the, the, the point of remembrance, and then secondly, the process of remembrance. So look at the point of Remembrance. Why would we even do this? Why did God want the Israelites to do this? Why would he want us to do this today? The reality is we are just a forgetful people. There are a lot of things that we just don't remember. I mean, it it could be something as simple as me scheduling a meeting with someone at 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, and I can forget about it. Or it could be something that happened years ago, That the Lord did, or I got to experience, and I just don't really think about it a whole lot anymore. It's just kind of been forgotten. And if we're honest with ourselves, all of us, to some degree, are just going to be a forgetful people. Secondly, it reminds us of where we've been and helps us see how we've grown. Uh, when When we take a look back at the journey that we've been on, we can see, all right, well, gosh, yeah, I remember when we lived here, and I remember when we went to this church, and I remember when, when the Lord did this, and I remember when we prayed for this specifically, and, and God answered that prayer this way, and then I remember when we moved, and, and we lived in this house, and we saw our kids grow up, and, and we got to be a part of this church family, and, and, and it's amazing how, how we've grown and, 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 and how God is still working today. And when we take the moment and the time to, to look back and remember, it really helps us to see, where we've been, and how God has worked and gotten us to where we are today. And in the midst of that, it's going to give us some, some hope and some encouragement that if, if God has been faithful and he's been working all this time, I bet you he's going to keep doing it. I bet you he's going to continue to be faithful because that's who he says he is. So we're forgetful people. It reminds us of where we've been and how we've grown And thirdly, it reminds us of our need for a Savior. When the Israelites looked back at the Exodus, uh, they realized that they had no power. They did not deliver themselves. They couldn't do this on their own. Moses couldn't do it. Aaron couldn't do it. They were vessels that, that the Father worked through. But they couldn't do it. They didn't hold the power. They were God's mouthpiece. In his hand, but God's the one that did it. God's the one that brought the plagues. God's the one that actually delivered them from bondage. And when we think about where we've been and where we are now, and we think about what God has done, it is a reminder to us that I really don't have any power of my own either. I'm in need of a Savior. I'm in need of a redeemer. I need someone that's more powerful than me, that's more wise than me, somebody outside of me to come into my life and rescue me. That's the point of remembrance. But what's this process? Here's what we see from the Israelites. We see that they are deliberate and intentional. I think for us today, it's very easy to get swept away in the things of life, uh, and we just don't even think about dwelling on the past and remembering what God has done. This is why God instituted this in their law. Hey, on the, in the seventh month, on the 15th day, for seven days, very specific, that's what I need. That's what we all need. Like, I need you to be specific with me because I just don't know that I can figure this out by myself. And that's what God gives us. If we're not deliberate, if we're not intentional about, hey, this needs to be a part of my life. This is impactful. This is helpful for me to do this. We're just not going to do it. We just won't. That's just our nature. It's a fallen nature. We won't do it. Here's the second thing that we see the Israelites do. In the process of building altar and temple, they stop. They realize the importance of this. If we are not willing to just stop and pause and break, we will never be able to do what the Lord's calling us to do. For them, it was very important to rebuild the temple. This, This is why they are there. But they also understand that doing something is never going to be more important than just being with the Father. And so, for us, we, we have to make the commitment to just stop and pause for a moment. To think back, God, what have you done in my life? And let me celebrate that. So we have to be deliberate and intentional. We have to be willing to stop and pause. And the third thing, this is done on an individual and a corporate level. For each one of us individually, <clears throat> God calls us to remember. What has he done in your life? Individually, specifically, your life. What has he done? What is he doing now? What is he calling you to do? What is he, where is he calling you to be obedient? What is God asking of you? But he also does this for us corporately. The Feast of the Booths was not celebrated just as an individual person. They did this as one. In verse 1 of chapter 3, we see them come together as one. And in verse 4, we see them celebrate the feast and remember as one. This is something that we're going to do for us, but also for us. I think it's important for us to, to take time to think about these things, to think about a VBS, my first VBS. And so my goodness, what is the Lord doing here? This is amazing. Last year modified this year, we had to come back, be face-to-face and we see how the Lord is just bringing this about. And we can celebrate that and pray over that corporately. So that's important. As I am, as I'm, Just studying through this and praying through this, getting ready for it this morning, I I wanted to do this. So I took some time and I just prayed, Lord, help me to remember. Help me to remember your goodness, what you've done in my life. And he brought a particular instance to mind. I was probably like 19 or 20 years old and I was living in Baton Rouge at the time I was a single guy uh, so I could work nights with no ramifications outside of just being tired and I worked for a guy in our church his name was Tony Zito and he had his own business and we would stripe parking lots Um, it wasn't particularly fun or without pain Um, it was it was hard work it was nasty work but you know what? You got to have stripes in the parking lot, so I was your guy. Um, well, you can't do that during the day because there are cars in the parking lots, so we got to work at night. So we'd leave Baton Rouge around 9.30 or 10 o'clock and we'd head down to New Orleans. It was about an hour and a half drive to New Orleans and he had a contract with every single Wendy's restaurant in New Orleans and that surrounding area. <clears throat> it was like 35 or 40 of them things. And so I'm learning how to do all this stuff. He's teaching me. We go to the Wendy's. We try and do two every night and drive back home. And, and ultimately, he got a contract with a Home Depot. And it, I think this was like the largest parking lot I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and so we get down there. We have two machines. And basically... The machine, it's it's kind of like the size of a lawnmower, and it's got the same type of engine, small engine. It's very loud. It's just got a big bucket of paint on there and a little thing that sprays the paint out, you know, to make the stripes. Super simple design, works really well. And so we had two of them, and at this point, he had taught me how to do everything. So he's at one end of the parking lot, and his end, it just keeps going and going and going. It's like attached to like this... The strip mall, and he's a, he's at least a couple hundred yards away from me. Easy, easy, maybe more. On my end of the parking lot is the neighborhood. It's just this huge neighborhood. And so that's the end of the parking lot that I am on. So around one thirty or 2 o'clock in the morning, we're both just striping. And I look up at one point when I'm facing, you know, this direction back into the neighborhood, and I see two guys on bicycles, just kind of riding around. It's two o'clock in the morning. I don't know why. There they are. So I'm like, okay, just focus on your work. So I just keep striping and I go back and forth, back and forth. When I come back here and I turn around, they're getting closer to me. And I'm like, surely they're not coming to me. Let's just f- keep doing your job and they'll just ride right on by me. So I make another I come back, and I turn around, and they're getting really close. And so I stop. I'm like, I'm about to just get beat to smithereens. (laughs) And um, I'm just a scrawny little kid. Like, I was not this fat when I was 19 (laughs) years old. And they, they get to about 10 or 15 feet from me, and they're just like hollering at me. Hey, man, what's going on? I'm working, and one of them sets his bike down and climbs over it, and he, then he stops. and It was like if you're watching a movie, you hit the rewind button, and you watch it literally just play back, and he gets on his bike, and they just start yelling and screaming, and they turn around and ride right back to where they came from. I'm like, What? new orleans what is wrong with you and so we we finished working that night we clean up pack up and everything and we start heading back to baton rouge and we're about 30 minutes into the drive and i remembered it so mr tony do you remember those two guys did you, did you see these two guys on bicycles do you remember this no, no i don't no i don't remember two guys on bicycles i didn't see two guys on bicycles are you sure? Two guys, bicycles. They rode out of the neighborhood. They came up to me. You did, you, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I do remember. He said, I looked up at the moment that one of them was getting off of his bike. And I prayed, holy God, send your angels to protect Brian. And he said he got back on his bike and they rode away. I thought about this yesterday, and I was reminded of my great need for a Savior. I couldn't defend myself. I couldn't do anything. I was a scrawny little kid who didn't know what was happening to himself there. But I had somebody in my life that prayed for me. And the Lord was faithful, and he protected me. And I was reminded not only that I need a Savior, but I need people in my life that can help me, that can encourage me, that can pray for me, hold me accountable when I mess up, minister to me, walk through life with me, because I can't do it alone. This is what remembrance can do. For all of us. That every single one of us is in need of a savior. We can't do this. We can't do it by ourselves. We're called to be a part of a community. I'm thankful to have the community that I have in my life. Someone like Michael that I was able to call yesterday or text. Because I wasn't in shape to talk and he received me right where I was, and he prayed for me. To have someone, some, some people in our lives, I'll be honest with you, it's really, really hard for me to ask for help. One of, my, one of my weaknesses, one of my faults, is asking someone to help me, because I don't want to ever do anything that would inconvenience somebody else, and I'm just reminded that God has placed people in my life to help me because I need help. All of us do. That's the impact of stopping just for a moment to remember what the Lord has done in your life and what he's done in all of our lives. And to celebrate that and to be thankful for this, What is God calling us to do? It's it's calling us to remember him, to worship him, to be obedient to him, and all these things. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up, and I'm going to ask Kim and Andy and and the Jones family. They're going to slip back here. I know that you can see this big, giant horse trough uh, filled with water, and we get to celebrate baptism this morning. Uh, So they're going to slip back there, and they're going to get ready, and we're going to celebrate with them in a moment. But as the the worship team comes, I want to draw your attention to one more thing in this passage of Scripture. You've heard of the last couple of weeks from Hunter and from Michael the phrase, Jesus on every page. I want to show this to you this morning. You don't see Jesus' name on this page But what God does through the authorship of this this letter, he gives us Jesus. In verse 2, it says, Then arose Yeshua, the son of Josadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. I want to look at a couple of passages of scripture with you very quickly. We're going to first look at Zechariah, uh, chapter 6. Start with verse 11. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. This is the same Yeshua and Jehoshadak that we read about in Ezra. Zechariah just spells their names differently. And he's the priest. And say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts. Behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Look at Matthew chapter 1 verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. And Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. And what we have here is God working through Zerubbabel from the line of Abraham and David. And the future line of King Jesus. Zerubbabel is the royal heir to the throne in Israel. And he reminds us and points us to Jesus Christ the royal heir of the throne. And Yeshua, the priest, gives us the the priestly line that takes us to the great high priest, Jesus. And you see them come together to point to one man, the branch, the king, Jesus Christ. Look what Hebrews says in chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens This is how Ezra points us to Jesus and reminds us of our need for a Savior. But we have confidence that Jesus is faithful. He loves you. He loves you. And He loves all of us. And He is calling you. He's calling you to be obedient to Him as He called all these Israelites to be obedient. So my question to you is this morning, do you trust that God is who he says he is, and do you trust that God is going to do what he said he's going to do? For whatever he's calling you to, do you trust that he is who he says he is, and that he'll do what he said he's going to do, that he's faithful to keep his promises? So here's my next question. What is it that this morning that you maybe brought with you into this room that you might need to give up and surrender that the Lord just might be saying, hey, it's time to let this go. Maybe, maybe it's your reliance upon status in school, in the community, in the workplace, promotions. Promotions. Maybe it's wealth. Maybe it's, maybe it's you. Maybe you just rely on you. You've made an idol of yourself. Maybe it's someone else in your life. Maybe what you're called to surrender is your life to receive the forgiveness and the love of the Father. Because when we surrender, we don't, we don't just lose, we get to receive. So that's my third question for you this morning. What is it that you need to receive? Do you need to receive the forgiveness of the Father? Maybe you need to receive comfort. Maybe you're just, there's grief or mourning in your heart, and you just need to be comforted by the God who loves you. Maybe you're tired, and you're weak, and you're at your wit's end, and you just need the strength of the Father. Maybe you're unsettled in your spirit and you're uncertain of what the day holds, of what the week holds, of what the year holds, and you just need the peace of the Father. My challenge to you this morning is that you would hear the call that God has placed on your life in this moment, that as He stirs, that you would respond in obedience and surrender to receive the love and the goodness of the Father. Let's pray together. Father, I've been reminded time and time again of my need for you. And I've also been reminded just how much you love me and how much you love us. You are faithful and true, and you're worthy of our praise. I'm thankful for that. God, we get to celebrate that now as we worship you. I pray for each person in this room, God, that you would help us all to be obedient to whatever you call us to do. That we would not be afraid. That we would fear not. For you love us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.